This is thatsinthebible.com. That's in the Bible, episode number 90. Why does God allow evil to exist in the world? Troublesome times are here, filling men's hearts with fear. Freedoms we all hold dear, now is at stake. Humbling your hearts to God, saves from the chastening rod. Seek the way pilgrims trod, Christians away. Hello and welcome back to That's in the Bible. My name is Eric. You've tuned in for episode number 90. Hard to believe we're at 90. Why does God allow evil to exist in the world? And you know, in light of what's happening here lately, we are in the middle of the uh, worldwide pandemic. It's called uh, several things, COVID-19. It's called the Chinese virus. But whatever it might be called, we're in the middle of it, which means that uh, I don't think I've been out of the out of the house in um, three weeks, maybe a little bit longer than that, um, which causes a lot of interesting things for me because I broke a bridge in the front of my mouth. So every now and then when I talk, um, S's and certain other consonants and syllables come out and it's like, uh, what did I just say? It's kind of <laughs> weird. But be that as it may, we are here and uh, we're going to start with... Um, Youth Pastor Matt up in Alaska. Matt, what's going on up there? Uh, about the same probably everywhere else. Just uh, kind of hunkering down. We're, we only have two places to go here in the village other than people's houses. We got the post office and we also have the store. And uh, only five people are allowed into each at uh, one time. And uh, we're not allowed to have church yet. And we talked to the mayor of Point Hope and uh, she didn't sound too excited about allowing us to open up church. So we're just trying to get allow the elders to be able to have some church service, but now so when you far, say, when you no say, deal. When you say elders, you don't mean the elders of the church. No, uh, yeah, el- yeah. What I mean is, uh, you know, sixty-five and older. Oh, so in the you church, know, if, elders if you can get a church. Denny's discount on Denny's. <laughs> Denny's okay. Because <middle. laughs> I was thinking maybe no, you, just some, you were meaning elders in the uh, the tribal council or something. Oh, no. Yeah, just anybody that, uh, because we do stream it on Facebook live and then post it. But, you know, of course, a lot of the elders, they don't do Facebook and all that. You know, they're they're not technologically know-how. And uh, so anyway, so we're trying to, we, we've got at least three to four elders in our church that haven't been able to watch any services. So, so hopefully, but so if everybody could pray about that, we're not allowed to even allow you know, five people into the church right now. So, and do you have any cases of the virus there? We have absolutely no cases and they've shut down all planes, bush pilot planes coming in or out. Again, you can't drive in or out of here. It's not accessible that way. So it's only accessible by a bush pilot plane, which actually one company has gone bankrupt. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so we have one bush pilot plane company left and then another one that just started coming in once a once or twice a week i think from barrow and uh so there's still options to get out but right now it's all locked down nobody can get out or in unless it's a like a health you know emergency so right it's rough but you're doing well yeah doing well just uh keeping busy we're still doing all of our services we're just you know um 
it's just uh, us, you know, that that do the services, and we just stream them all on Facebook. We just did uh, King's Kids last night, so that's fun. We do still do our puppet show, and then we do our pledges, and and then I preach for just a little while. So so we at least still are able to get some things out for the kids and the teenagers nice. and the adults. Nice, amen. And Pastor Steve over in beautiful, uh, well, the surroundings of Buffalo, New York. How are things there? Doing well. Uh, I've kind of abstained from listening to all of the uh, updates and everything else. I got kind of bored with it after a while. Uh, just try to find out, you know, the pertinent things that, that involve me here. But uh, just like Matt and probably everybody else, just uh, staying pretty close to the house. Get out every once in a while. Try to practice my, quote, social distancing. But, um, you know, just... Uh, get out to do a few things here and there. Once in a while, we'll go to a park with one of uh, one of my children and uh, their their wife and maybe their grandkid or my grandkids, and take a walk in the park and and just uh, stay you know apart like we're supposed to, but get a chance to be with them and talk with them and so forth. Uh, found a, a an app called Zoom. That's probably a lot of people know about that and just started that here recently. Going to be doing that with our church and, and some of the people there probably do some Bible studies and things along that line with people participating with that. And um, <clears throat> uh, But we did it with a family last night and that was that was a hoot trying to get everybody together and looking at each other and, and talking with each other. Uh, similarly like this. I was going to ask, is it like Skype? Uh, very much, but it's a better quality, and uh, hey, we should hey, of, we should move to that. Uh, I was going to suggest that earlier, but hmm. but I was going to mention it here, <laughs> <laughs> and just see uh, see how that works. But it's it's pretty th- cool thing. People are using it all over. It's it's uh, like a business thing for business meetings. Mm-hmm. Uh, pe- teachers are using it for school to instruct schools, so they got all their students all uh, rim uh, ribboned around the this, the main screen. Uh, they've got a way that they can raise a hand if they want to ask a question, you know, and it's it's kind of a cool, cool thing. Right. And they've got a free version, then they've also have a paid version that gives you unlimited time for the meeting and stuff like that. So, but uh, just uh, you know, just reading and doing some odd projects. Thankfully, the the uh, county executive hasn't banned us going to uh, the hardware stores, and so I've been doing some projects inside and outside. And just trying to stay busy, obviously reading my Bible and, and getting a chance to get more pages in than I normally do. So uh, I've enjoyed that. And uh, mm-hmm. just trying to keep my uh, grandson and my daughter uh, entertained. <laughs> and uh, that's a full-time job. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Actually, I hide up in the room up here in my office probably more than I should. But... But uh, it's uh, it's been good to have them here and uh, be able to help out and stuff like that. So, Amen. Amen. Yeah, for those that don't know, that's my wife, of course, Jennifer, and my son, Jacob. And they're in New York while I'm in Alaska just because that way they could have good medical care. So, so that's a blessing. And now, Jacob, I really appreciate my father-in-law putting up with them, especially my wife. Jacob. <laughs> Jacob's pretty laid back. He, uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Your dad must be wearing him out. 
I try. <laughs> he wears me out, boy. I tell you, run, Bumpa, run, run, Bumpa, run. I'm going to tackle you, Bumpa. Yeah, there's no. So, I don't know. I don't know where my son got all the energy from. He didn't get it from me. He didn't get it from my wife Jennifer. He didn't get it, get it from you, Dad. He didn't get. I don't know where he got it from. <laughs> He's two years old. That's where he got it from. Almost three. Yeah. So. Well, on that note, Pastor Strobel, how are things there in beautiful, sunny Lockport, New York? <laughs> I only wish it were more sunny, but uh, things are, by the grace of God, well in uh, keeping me busy. I, I've been busier and had more to do with this whole scenario of the uh, coronavirus uh, situation than I did before. I've got as much to do as I can handle and, and more, it seems like. Uh, the last time that we met here on the podcast, we were still holding church services and we continued to do that up until uh, we found out, I found out on the Saturday before Easter Sunday that the governor had officially <clears throat> ordered uh, the houses of worship not to meet. I'm going to give you just a little bit of a background. Uh, there's so much <clears throat> information that floats out and, and assumptions that are made. <clears throat> when he first initiated the shutdown, which I think was, uh, would have been, it was to go into effect Sunday, March 22nd uh, at uh, 8 p.m., uh, of course, we're in 2020. But when he first gave that executive order, you know, first of all, people thought it started right away. And he gave it on a Friday. It was going to start on a Sunday. We had folks that didn't come to church, thought they weren't supposed to be there on that day. And again, it, it actually didn't go in effect till that Sunday at 8 p.m. So people could have come all day and be fine, even if we were going to be restricted. And uh, however, I found out before, even before the Sunday, as I looked up on uh, the governor's website, that under his guidance on essential services in New York State, um, and this was the New York State on pause executive order, but he said at that time, houses of worship are not ordered closed. However, it is strongly recommended no congregate services be held and social distance maintained. So we continued to meet and we did that. Of course, we had a number of our folks that were not coming because of health concerns for themselves, their age or weakened immune systems, or because they're going to be coming in contact with uh, loved ones that, that would have been potentially uh, harmed, you know, from the virus. <clears throat> so, uh, you know, we had plenty of room to maintain social distance, et cetera. And we continued to meet. Uh, and then we, the last service we met on was the Wednesday before uh, Resurrection Sunday. And on Thursday, uh, April 9th, Governor Andrew Cuomo enacted, enacted his modified guidance on essential services. And I did not find out till Saturday morning and and so, first, let me tell you what he said. Pursuant to Executive Order 202.10, all non-essential gatherings of individuals of any size for any reasons, for example, worship services, parties, celebrations, or other social events are canceled or postponed. Congregate services within houses of worship are prohibited Houses of worship may only be used by individuals and only where appropriate social distancing of at least six feet between people can be maintained. Further, individuals should not gather in houses of worship, homes, or other locations for religious services until the end of this public health emergency. And then he goes on to, you know, if possible, they should use other alternative forms and different, et cetera, like folks have been using. Now, the, the the problem with this statement is he he really went out of his way to target houses of worship. Mm. Um, 
he mentioned party celebrations or other social events, but he mentioned houses of worship first. And he mentioned parties, celebrations, or other social events exactly once. And, and when he referred to houses of worship or worship service, or religious service, those are mentioned no less than five times. So this was specifically aimed at getting the churches to, to make sure they did not meet on Easter Sunday or any time after that. The constitutionality of that is already under, under question. Nevertheless, he had previously even doubled the amount of fines for people violating these type of guidelines, not just churches, but anybody, uh, businesses or whatever, uh, from 500 to to $1,000. Uh, there have been churches in the South where people were meeting out in their parking lot in uh, Greenville, Mississippi, for example, and they're meeting out in their parking lot. The older folks, like uh, Matt was saying, who were not technologically savvy, <clears throat> and the governor or the uh, pastor was uh, broadcasting to the parking lot on a low band, low frequency band FM uh, broadcast. And these guys were in their cars, windows were up, and they were, they were ordered they couldn't do that. Folks that wouldn't leave were fined $500 a piece. And again, the Department of Justice has has just issued a, a statement about that, you know, condemning that basically. And uh, so we've got a lot of that type of stuff going on. As we sit here, you know, we uh, now they, I, I, there's so much I don't want to get into all of it, but I'm just, I, I guess I'll stop right there and say, I'll just go, I'll go another direction. So because of that, I scrambled on um, uh, Saturday before Easter Sunday to be able to set up uh, live streaming at our church for the services. I had previously, when I was concerned that we might get shut down in sometime or in the future, I had set up a YouTube channel. Um, so we, we were able to go live stream. The thing was trying to get it set up in the church. We basically were running all day trying to get things in order and finally did. So now what we're doing is we are live streaming our services, uh, via YouTube. We have a YouTube channel. I had previously put on, on that channel, uh, audio services that, you know, for our folks that couldn't come to church. So now we're live streaming them. And then the archives of the live stream are, are remaining on there. And uh, that's how we're meeting for church. Amen. Yeah, it's strange times, and and uh, I I would imagine the whole YouTube thing just adds another layer of complexity to to record the video and and uh, you're doing video right, not just audio. We are now, yep. Yeah. And mm -hmm. a matter of fact, yeah, we it was kind of learning experiences. We scrambled, and thankfully, thanks to the podcast here, I might add, uh, we had a good setup for. Uh, an effective setup for the microphone. I took the um, headset that I use for the podcast, and that's the only reason why I got this headset. As I was given it actually for the podcast, and I and, and I set it up. Um, was able to buy an extension for it so it could reach from where we set up the computer all the way to the pulpit. It wasn't the greatest. I went back and it, was, it wasn't the most comfortable either for, <laughs> for doing it, but um, it got us through that first day. And when I went back and listened on uh, afterwards, I, you know, for the most part was good, but there were some issues. And so I started looking into something else and uh, actually was corresponding with you about this mm -hmm. earlier this yep. week, but we were able to set up our wireless mic. Uh, I, I went in there and I got it and I had a connector that I could connect the wireless mic uh, to our, to my computer uh, via 3.5 millimeter jack and 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 the sound quality of that is much better. I got to get off of my lease and so it's <laughs> it, it's working well. Yeah. Pra praise the Lord. Yeah. You know it's a pain, but um, it, it's all things work together for good. And now people get to hear it that wouldn't have otherwise. And so 
you just you just run with it and you do the best you can. Yeah. Amen. I, I and we had talked about it because the pastor Werner at the church I attend Bible Baptist Fellowship in Alpine, New York. He's looking for ways to improve the sound quality in particular. Um, and he's doing the same thing. He's putting up YouTube uh, videos for Sunday school and preaching <clears throat> and also the midweek service too. Amen. So yeah. it's a lot of, I think it's a lot of work too to, you know, it's just another layer of complexity to, to put all that up. And I'm appreciative and glad that he's doing it just as I'm sure your congregations are glad that we can still in some way be, you know, um, getting, the preaching and the teaching that um, we need and we're, we've become used to. It's certainly not the same in, in every aspect, but it's it's certainly better than going without. Amen. And, One thing and, I'm hoping for, if, if just jump in here for a second, is is that if hopefully people don't get the, the um, in the habit of staying home instead of coming to the services, but using... Obviously, for shut-ins and, and, and health problems and things along that line, it's a great avenue. Just like anything else, it has a good aspect to it, but also has a drawback to it if, if people wish to use it that way. And, and uh, you know, with all this social distancing and stopping the services and so forth, with my congregation that I have that I keep you know personal tabs with and, and so forth, they're all anxious to get back. They can't wait to get back. But... Uh, I could see that there might be some that would uh, say, hey, I like this. I can stay home and <laughs> don't have to get dressed up and I can watch the preacher and I can walk away, go get a cup of coffee if I want and, and just use that as an excuse not to come to church instead of following what the scripture says, obviously, to not forsake the assembling of themselves together as the manner of some is. So. Amen. I, I would just like to interject. I on uh, my Sunday morning message, I actually hit on that very uh, point as well. Uh, so we're doing, and what we're doing, I mean, I'm I'm maintaining for our people the regular time. We start Sunday school, regular time, Sunday morning, regular time, Sunday night, regular time, Wednesday night, regular time. And I'm encouraging them just to, you know, tune in live and, and just keep that habit going as much as they're mm-hmm. able. But uh, it's... It is uh, interesting times. Yeah. Amen. amen. Good, good and, to be saved. Amen. It does because it gives you some uh, some grounding when when things are all off a of kilter. It's like, well, I'm saved, got a home in heaven, and so there's there's some stability there along with what the Bible amen. teaches and tells us too. Um, but I think there is there is you know out of the corner of my eye, you're looking around thinking, well, where is this leading to? <laughs> you know, and I think there's some healthy skepticism sometimes about, you know, how far is the, well, the government going to, going to take this. And, and so you, you know, just what well, we need to pray for our leaders and those in authority Amen. and, and, uh, That's right. and we're going to still have the freedoms that we've, uh, had up until now. So. Amen. Amen. What did I do today? Today I watched, Kathy and my wife and I, we watched uh, a video, which you guys have probably already already seen, and I had seen it a few years back, but we watched it again today. It's called KJB, The Book That Changed the World, with the Amen. actor John Reese davies Yes, very good. And it, it was pretty good. We watched through that, and I'm also reading uh, through Gip's um, Understandable History of the Bible, so kind of going through that and my wife Kathy's asking me a bunch of questions that I can't answer yet. 
<laughs> well, what about the Geneva Bible and the Bishop Bible? Where, what manuscripts were those? And who translated that? Where was the Bible before? I'm like, I don't know. I'm just trying to get the King James down right now. <laughs> so Amen. usually I'll call one of you guys or text one of you guys and say, what about? But, yeah, so it's been it's been good. But it's, to see God's hand in that, how that Bible came to be, and and uh, what how really it is at the height of the English language, the the way we have that Bible, it's I'm very thankful to God for for giving us that book. Yeah. Well, I think we're ready. Uh, anybody else have anything for the good of the cause before we begin with why does God allow evil to exist in the world? Matt's going to answer that definitively today from the, <laughs> from the Bible, I hope, Matt. Of course. All right. Well, if uh, you're ready, I'm ready. So let's go ahead and, and get started. Well, amen. Well, if you guys want to take your Bibles and turn to First Peter chapter three, and First uh, Peter chapter three, we're going to pray here in a second. But again, this question is: Why does God allow evil to exist in the world? And we're going to go ahead to the Lord in prayer here first. But again, First Peter chapter three. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you so much for the fun we're able to have together and the fellowship. Lord, even with all the distance between all of us guys, it's just such a blessing to be able to talk to one another and, Lord, have this technology. Lord, there's a lot of evil with this technology, but there's a lot of good that can be done with it as well. So we just pray today that you would use this technology for good, for your honor, for your glory, and that you would get all the honor and glory through it all and the pleasure. And Lord, we just pray that you'd be with the uh, airwaves and the connectivity. We're having a storm here in Alaska right now. So we just pray that, Lord, you would just, uh, just smooth everything out and there would be no issues with the recording. And Lord, we just pray again that you'd help me, help me to just have clarity of mind to be able to bring this study forth. And Lord, it would be a help to people, Lord, whether lost or saved. And Lord, that we'd be able to just trust you more. And our faith would increase that much more because of the Word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we just pray that you'd increase our faith today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So here in First Peter chapter 3, one of my favorite verses, uh, when I first got saved, my life verse, and still is, is 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. But then another thing that took place was I started getting questions from a lot of people. And if you're ever out and about, you're saved and you get outside of church, you get outside of your home or apartment, wherever you're living. And I know it's hard to do that now, but uh, hopefully when it opens up again and before, and you start living the life that the Lord has called you to live, a holy separated life and to witness to others and tell others about Jesus Christ, their need to get saved. It's not going to take long for people to start asking you questions and some of them can be real easy and some of them can be well how do you know for sure you're going to heaven you know how do you know for sure that you can't lose your salvation things like that and even for some people that are listening maybe it's those questions aren't easy for you uh, but then you get some more difficult questions and again this kind of a question here why does god allow evil to exist in the world and these questions are ones that we should have answers for and look with me to first peter chapter three 
this is one of those verses that the Lord really struck me when I first got saved and people started asking me questions. They even asked me about like, well, why don't you drink alcohol? You know, I just would tell them, well, I remember it's somewhere in the Bible, you know, that it's not good to do. I just remember hearing it from, you know, a preacher. And, but when you don't have any kind of Bible verse, you don't have any proof, then it's, it only goes so far. It doesn't really go far at all. So first Peter chapter three, verse 15 says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. We're supposed to be ready, and we're supposed to be ready to give an answer. And that says to every man that asketh you. So it's not just the lost, it's also saved. You know, they're, just like uh, my dad was saying that uh, Kathy, that she, you know, is asking questions and things like that. It doesn't, it doesn't mean just lost people are going to be asking us questions. There's going to be saved people asking us questions. And, and, most likely they'll ask you a question that's maybe more difficult and you're not ready to answer. But, but after those questions are asked, you should get ready and you should, you should have those all. Uh, this is one of those things that, um, I can talk about this cause I don't have this issue, <laughs> but, uh, when you have, um, uh, football and basketball and, they know all the statistics about every single player. They know who's going to be, you know, coming up in the next draft. And I never understood any of that stuff. I don't even understand the draft. I don't understand any of that. But I could hear lost and saved talk about it for hours with so much passion, know all these statistics. But then some of those same Christians, they hardly know how to tell somebody how to get saved. They hardly know how to tell somebody they're not ready to be able to tell somebody uh, you know, why they need to get saved, that they're sinners, where in the Bible it says they're sinners. They they know all these other statistics, and they're ready for those things that really don't have any eternal weight and glory, but they're but they're not ready to be able to tell somebody that, you know, they come and ask them, well, how do I get saved? Well, and all these other questions. And so this is one of the most important things is to be ready to give an answer. Uh, another, we're not going to go there, but another passage is Proverbs chapter 22, verse 21, that says that thou mightest answer the words of truth to them that send unto thee. So again, we're supposed to be ready to answer the words of truth that uh, send unto you. Now look at uh, Proverbs chapter 15, verse 28. The heart of the righteous studieth the answer. That that should be your heart, that I want to be able to give an answer to everybody. Uh, Colossians 4, 6, that ye may know how you ought to answer every man. Again, not just not just lost, but saved. And so if you've been saved for any length of time and you've been really trying to live a life that's glorifying to God, you're going to get some of these answers from lost and the saved. And one of those questions is why does God allow suffering in this world? And we already covered that in episode 63. It's a little bit along the same lines as this question, but that's going to be a big one too. And so you're going to get these questions from, now you're going to get some questions from people that just hate God, that want to remain comfortable in their sin. And so they're going to try and stump you. Uh, I've had that before you can tell in their demeanor and how they act and their countenance. And they just come to you all prideful and say, well, why does, if your God's so good and if he's, you know, all loving, then how could he allow all this suffering to happen? You know, and they just ask it like that. And what they want to do is they want to get you to the point, even in front of other people to prove their point, they want to get to the point where you're like dumbfounded and you can't answer it. And then they say, see, why would I believe in a God like that? You know, and and then they win. And then also everybody else that's listening says, wow, that Christian doesn't have an answer for that. 
they're right. Maybe they, maybe I don't need to get saved. Maybe maybe God's not a good God. That kind of thing. And uh, but then you also have loss that will come up to you and say, you know, it's really been bothering me. You know, I've been thinking about this. Why is God allowing all this suffering to happen in the world? Could you give me an answer? And and they really want to know whether lost or saved. And those are important things to know because for the lost, that might be the thing that's stopping them from finally receiving Christ as their Savior. And for the saved, that might be what's going to hinder them or help them. If you answer it, that'll help them not to give up on the Lord, not to stop living for him. But if you can't answer it, it might be one of those things where they say, well, you know, man, nobody has any answers for me. I guess, you know, God's not good enough to keep serving. So, so what all I said all that to say this, we need to be able to study these things out. You say, well, that's good. I can just, you know, refer them to this study. Well, you should have, you should write down the notes and you should have it ready to go. So again, episode 63, why does God allow suffering? We answered that question, and it's a little bit along the same lines as this, but uh, the kind of question that people would ask, and probably a lot of people are asking right now, if God is all-knowing and all-powerful and can do anything, why does he allow there to be evil in this world? If if he's all-knowing, if he's a good God, if he's if he's all-powerful, why does he allow evil in this world? Now, look at me to Genesis chapter 1. You probably all know where I'm going with this, but we got to get to the very foundation first. So Genesis chapter 1. To be able to answer this question, why does God allow evil to exist in the world, we should really first answer three main questions And if we can answer these three main questions, we'll be able to answer this main question, which is why does God allow evil to exist in the world? The first question is, uh, does God or did God create the world with evil in it? Now, you hear that a lot of times. People even say it, too. They say, well, if God's so good, then why did God create uh, all this evil in the world and God create a a world with evil in it? Uh, You need to be able to answer that. The question is, Did God create this world with evil in it? So look at Genesis chapter 1. Look at verse 1. It says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And then throughout the whole entire chapter 1, he goes over all the creation, the six-day creation. And then look at verse 31. So Genesis chapter 1, 31 says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Now look at me to Genesis chapter 2. And Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Now look at verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. So what we have so far is that God created everything, and everything was good, very good. There was no evil. There was no evil present in regards to the creation. There was no evil in regards to man or anything like that. Uh, Now look at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, the Bible says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, so again, this is Eve, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Now, of course, this is the forbidden tree. They weren't supposed to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but they did. And because of that, we, of course, know that they die. And, you know, God said, the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And that's exactly what happened to him. Uh, And uh, look me to Romans chapter 5, verse 12, which says, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. 
so that death is passed upon all men for that all have sinned. So you have something here where Adam eats that tree that he wasn't supposed to. Everything was perfect. Everything was good that God created. But then he sinned and he took of that tree that he wasn't supposed to. And death, pain, suffering, sorrow came into the world. That evil came into the world. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. And so we see that. Uh, that sin that was committed in the very beginning with Adam and Eve caused the world to become corrupt because of their sin. We know that it, of course, cursed uh, childbirth and with pain and all that and suffering, and, and also it's caused the land, the earth, to be cursed and many other things, and that death would come and all that. Uh, look at me to Ezekiel chapter 28. Some people might be saying, well, what about the devil? I mean— um, you know, didn't God create the devil and, and he's evil? Well, look at Ezekiel chapter 28. And Ezekiel chapter 28. And you might say, well, you know, nobody that asked me this question is going to sit down and go through this whole entire study. Well, that's fine. That's up to them. But you know what you can tell them is, hey, listen, I got the answers. You could say, well, I just did this study a little while ago, even if it was just uh, two years ago, three years ago that you finally did this study for yourself and and got it all down on notes, on a notepaper, notepad. You could say, hey, listen, let me go over it with you. Let me let me show you what the answer is. And then if that person says, no, that's just ridiculous. I don't want to hear it. Then you know what happened? You just won that because they didn't really want to know the answer. And if anybody's around while they say that and you can show them the proof, then they see that that guy was not truthful and wanting to know the truth, but that you have the answers according to the word of God. So Ezekiel chapter 28, and uh, here's the devil, of course, we won't go through the whole thing, but this is God talking to the devil. Ezekiel chapter 28, look at verse 15. Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created. So, of course, we know that Jesus Christ created the devil, because John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 says that Jesus Christ created everything, Colossians chapter 1, verse 14. All right, so Jesus Christ, God, created the devil, and he was perfect. So when he created him, just like God created the earth and everything else was was good, very good, also here the devil was created perfect. But then to keep going there in verse 15, till iniquity was found in thee by the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned, not God, it was the devil. Thou hast sinned, therefore I will cast thee as profane to the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. And of course, we know he was the fifth cherub there that uh, is cast out of heaven because of his sin. So uh, you say, well, what about the devil? Well, he sinned as well, and it's because of that sin that evil came about. But the evil came about in this earth because of that one man. So... To answer the first question that we really have to ask to be able to get to the bottom of this, did God create the world with evil in it? The answer is no, he didn't. He created man very good and everything else that was in this earth very good. All the animals were herbivores. Nobody was, you know, no animals were killing each other. There was no death, pain, sorrow, suffering because of uh, any of the animals. No, none of them were killing each other. Uh, there was no violence, anything like that. But it was Adam and Eve that sinned and brought that death, pain, and sorrow in the world and the evil in the world, and the devil as well. The devil sinned, and and he was perfect, though, when he was created. So that's the first thing you want to say. The first thing you really want to say is, well, listen, God created everything perfect. It wasn't his fault. Now, 
The next question that will arise because of this is if God truly is an all-knowing and all-powerful God, then why did God create us with the option or the ability to sin? Right? And that's a, that's a good, fair question. If God knows the end from the beginning, then why would he create beings like you and I that have the ability to sin, that have the option to sin? Well, first thing we need to do is, before a Christian says, well, God's not all-knowing then, or God's not all-powerful and all that, well, let's look at some things here. Look at Psalm chapter 147. We're just going to real quick look at that, look that God is all-knowing, okay? So Psalm 147, uh, Psalm, and of course this means I'm uh, uh, omniscient, so God is all-knowing here, 147. And Psalm 147, verse 5, Great is our Lord, and of great power, his understanding is infinite. So look at that. That that means that he knows everything, and we know what infinite means. It's I mean, it's just there's no end to it. It's just you know everything, and that's what God is. God knows absolutely everything. Look at Isaiah chapter 46. Isaiah 46. And Isaiah 46, look at verse 9. Bible says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. So we know from those verses that, especially these verses right here, that God knew that we had the option or ability to sin before he created us. He knew that we were going to sin, but yet he still created us. Look at 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. And 1 John chapter 3, verse 20. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Now, the reason you might say, why is he giving so many verses? Why, why do we give so many verses in this podcast? Uh, one of the reasons why is because, like I said before, you could just spout off some stuff that might sound good, but if you don't have proof from the Word of God, it's not really worth anything. And um, I was watching on YouTube uh, probably last week, I think it was. I just like to watch other preachers and pastors and see how they answer certain certain things. And so anyway, while I was looking, at a thing popped up in my to, I don't know, I guess they give you recommendations to watch. And so I was watching uh, John MacArthur and he was doing the strange fire, whatever, I don't know what it was, but, uh, but it was a thing where people would ask him questions about the charismatic movement and things like that. And I said, oh, this might be good. And so I listened to it and he had, I think three or four other pastors that maybe are in his ministry. I'm not really, I don't know his whole ministry, but I just know he doesn't believe the King James Bible and other things. But, but, uh, anyway, he uh, he was answering all these questions and it all sounded really good and people were taking notes and he's like, I'm doing this because I want everybody to be able to have the ability to be able to answer the people that, you know, are saying, you know, you need to get baptized to get saved and you need to speak in tongues and things like that. Now, he was saying pretty good things, but hardly e actually, I don't think ever did he give a scripture reference. He never said, well, if you look in chapter, you know, and then verse and look at that, that'll give you the exact answer. He would just, he would 
reference sometimes some places, you know, some verses in the Bible, but never give you an actual reference, never give you any place where that goes. And he would just say, well, of course, God is against this, you know, and but but for me, how is that? So all these people that were listening to him are now going to go out there and try and say, well, John MacArthur, you know, says that, well, well, what, you know, that, that, that doesn't have any power or weight to it though. Now, if you say now the word of God, let me show you the scripture reference for it, the chapter and verse that's got weight to it. Look at Job 42. So we just saw that God is all knowing. He knows all things. So he knows the end from the beginning. Uh, look at Job 42. And Job 42, look at verse 2. Job 42, verse 2. I know that thou canst do... Well, let's go to verse 1. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. So, of course, Job knew that God could do anything. Look at uh, Matthew 19, verse 26. Matthew 19, verse 26. And in Matthew chapter 19, verse 26, it says, But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. One last verse here for this. Look at Revelation chapter 19. In Revelation chapter 19, look at verse 6. In Revelation chapter 19, look at verse 6. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Omnipotent means that uh, he's got all power, uh, all power in the whole entire universe and beyond the universe. He's got all power. So we've just seen that God is all-knowing and God is all-powerful. So when that question arises and somebody says, if God truly is all-knowing and all-powerful, which he is, then why did God create us with the option or the ability to sin. Now, you can't say, well, God's not all-powerful, God's not all-knowing. You can't say that because the Bible says that he is, okay? Now, turn with me to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. When I was back in New York living there, and uh, I was a part every year of going to different fair fairs and things like that, we had a fair ministry from uh, Grace Baptist Missions, I believe it's called, Amazing Grace Missions is what it's called. And so what you do is you go to fairs, whether we were in Binghamton, sometimes Vestal, and uh, of course, Pastor Matt Smith, that's been on this show a a few times before, good friend of ours. He uh, heads that up there. And also the state fair in Syracuse, New York, went there a couple of times. And so what we have is we have a fair booth set up and trying to get people saved and trying to show them the word of God and how they need to get saved. And So to get people to come, what we would have is we'd have a sign right out in the front of the booth, and it would say, name three things that God cannot do. Now, that's a great question. So you'd be out there and you try and, you know, kind of, uh, you know, at a fair, you kind of try and lift people up and try and get them to come, you know, get them excited. And so I'm like, come on, you know, come on, come see three things that cannot do. Can you, can you name them? I bet you can't name them, you know, and you kind of go off like that. Now, of course, the people that hate God that are atheists, they're going to come and say, Oh, I can tell you a lot of things that God cannot do, you know? And then you get Christians and, uh, almost every Christian now there uh, with an exception of some, but almost every Christian said, there's nothing that God cannot do. There's nothing that God cannot do. And, and again, we saw that God is uh, omnipotent. He can do all things. 
But uh, but I but I would always say to him, I bet you'd be surprised on the answer to some of this. So, again, the question was uh, name three things that God cannot do. And then what we'd have is we'd have three like um, cupboard doors in a way that you would open up. And then there's something written on there that God cannot do. So the first thing would be in Titus chapter one, verse two. Titus chapter one, verse two, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. So the first thing that you would say to him is, well, look at that. God cannot lie. So that is something that God cannot do. And and the Christian would say, oh, you're right. You're right. You know, and then the person that wanted to come up that's an atheist or hates God, you could see their countenance fall a little bit because it's making God look good. <laughs> and they say, oh, you know, and, and some people would just leave after that and get mad. But other people would say, well, let me see what the next one is, you know. So turn me to uh, Hebrews chapter 13, Hebrews chapter 13. And I would say, can you think of anything else that God cannot do? And uh, if they can't think of anything, we would uh, open up the next door. And Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8 says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. You know what that means? That means that God cannot change. And uh, so you look at that right there and you say that God cannot change. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. He's the same forever. He does not change. So God cannot lie. God cannot change. And then I would take them to John chapter three, if you want to go there real quick. And this would be the key verse, the key question or the key answer there of what God cannot do to try and get them to come back and uh, go through the Bible and show them they're sinners, that they need Jesus Christ to be saved. And uh, John chapter three, verse three, Jesus answered and said unto him, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then verse five, Jesus answered, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And so the last one is that God cannot let anybody into heaven unless they've been born again. And so you see that there's some things that God cannot do. And, and uh, we'd get some people that would come back and praise God. Some people would stay back there for 15, 20 minutes and they would get saved. Other people, they'd uh, have a lot to chew on and, and go back with gospel tracts and things like that, or Bibles and, and John and Romans pamphlets. Other people, of course, uh, just, you know, got mad and things like that. But, but boy, uh, sometimes it's kind of surprising to hear those kinds of things, but you know what? You know what God does? God places limitations on Himself. Now God is all powerful. God is all knowing, but but He put limitations on Himself, and those limitations are found in the Word of God. He wrote this book, and uh, he he wrote this thing so that he's got lim- he puts himself in a box in a way according to the Bible. Now. This should be a great comfort for all of us, because if he says, I'm going to give you eternal life if you receive my son as your savior, then the fact that he says, I cannot lie. Now, if he says, I give unto you eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my father's hand. Well, praise the Lord. He can't lie. He just promised me eternal life. He cannot lie. That doesn't make him less of a God. That makes him a greater of a God. Look with me to uh, Psalm 99. Psalm 99, I want to show you just a couple more things that God cannot do. And again, it's not because he's not all-powerful. It's because he puts those limitations on himself willingly. And Psalm 99, and you'll see where I'm going here in a minute, why I'm bringing this all out. But Psalm 99, verse 9, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. You know what God cannot do? 
God cannot sin. Look at Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32. He is holy. Deuteronomy. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that Jesus Christ couldn't sin. Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he, God, hath made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. If he would have been able to sin, if he would have sinned, then we would have no um, forgiveness of our sins. We'd have no way to be able to have our sins washed away in the blood of Jesus Christ. But thank God he can't sin. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 32. Look at verse 3. Deuteronomy 32 verse 3, because I will publish the name of the Lord, ascribe you greatness unto our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect for all his ways are judgment, a God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. And again, if he does not change, then that shows you right there. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he's holy, and and he's just, and he's right, and he's without iniquity, then that's not going to change. He cannot sin. He cannot sin. Look at uh, Deuteronomy 33, verse 27. Deuteronomy 33, and verse 27 says, The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms, and he shall thrust out the enemy from before thee and shall say, uh, destroy them. But I wanted you to look there in the very beginning. The eternal God is thy refuge. Eternal God. That means that God is eternal. The Bible also says that he's from everlasting to everlasting. So he is a God that cannot cease to exist. He cannot cease to exist. He's eternal. He is everlasting. So you say, well, where are you going? <clears throat> Where are you going with all that? What are you trying to say with all that? Well, another thing that God cannot do is that God cannot create a world with people that have total free will without the possibility of committing sin. Let me say that again, maybe in a different way. God can't create—he couldn't have created Adam and Eve. He couldn't have created you and I to have free will— and at the same time, not be able to commit sin. So uh, let's look in First uh, John chapter 3. I'll try to explain that a little bit better. First John chapter 3. If God would have created us without a free will, right? It, it, so God cannot create you and I as human beings that have the choice to love without having a free will. So if he just said, okay, you're going to love me, you're going to do all these commandments, you're not going to sin— that's not a human being anymore. That's not showing love. That's not the ability to love God. That's being a robot. Like, yes, sir, I will do what you say. You know, kind of a robot kind of a thing. If you don't have any kind of a free will, there's no love there. Love is a choice. Love is a choice to, to uh, enact an action. And we see that from God. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God has a free will. God chose, you know, he could have chose to say, you know what, I'm just going to let them all die and go to hell. But he said, you know what, I love them so much. I've got their free will. I'm going to do this. I'm going to send my only begotten son to die for them. Look at 1 John chapter 3. So God could have created us without the option to sin. But if he would have done that, that would mean that we would not have a free will. That would mean that we would have to obey him no matter what. 
And that's not love. That's not love at all. That's just being, like I said, a robot. Look at First John chapter 3. And first John chapter three, verse 16, hereby perceive we the love of God. Okay. So how, how can we perceive that God loves us? Because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Remember when Jesus Christ said, not my will, but thy will be done. You know, he said he wanted this cup to pass from him, his will, his desire. He had a free will, free choice. Jesus Christ did. He he didn't really want to go to the cross, not just because of the pain and suffering, but because his heavenly father would have to turn his back on him because Christ became sin for us. And so he was he had free will. He wasn't a robot. He said, you know what? I have the choice and I'm going to die for them. Look at verse 17. But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? See, you have a choice. You have a choice to help your brother that's in need or not. And uh, of course, to not would be sin. Because you're supposed to love, uh, according to Matthew chapter 22, you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 18, <clears throat> my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So God has created us with a free will. Unfortunately, we have the free will to choose good or the free will to choose evil. And all of us have chosen to sin for all have sinned, Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But love is a choice, and we all have the choice to be able to love and serve God or to serve evil. Uh, Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth his love toward us, showed his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And of course, he goes on to say also, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, all those kinds of things. So yes, God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing, but he couldn't create beings like you and I that could have the option to love him without having the option also to commit sin and to commit evil. And so he could have said, well, then I'm not going to create anybody, right? He could have said, well, I'm not going to create anybody and I'm just going to be alone in this universe, you know, and all that by myself and not create anybody. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that God created me. I'm thankful that my God created my dad and my mom. I'm thankful that uh, my God created my son. I'm thankful, e even though, you know, he's growing up in a world of that's evil and it's got sin and pain and suffering. I'm thankful for my life. I'm thankful for my son's life. I'm thankful for uh, all the guys that are on here right now. My father-in-law, Pastor Strobel, my dad, everybody. I'm thankful for God, even though we're growing up in an evil world, God chose to say, you know what? I'm going to create them even though they have the choice to be able to commit sin and commit evil and bring evil into this world. And, uh, and of course, he gives us the most amazing gift ever, which is Jesus Christ, to be saved. Now, look me to Romans chapter 7. So we've answered two questions so far. we got one left. And the main question is, why does God allow evil to exist in the world? The first question we ask in regards to this is, did God create the world with evil in it? The answer is no. God created everything perfect in the beginning. And the secondly is, why did God create us with the option or ability to be able to sin? And the reason why is because if he didn't, then we wouldn't be able to show him love. We would just be robots. So he had to create us with the option or ability to be able to sin. Now, lastly here, look at Romans chapter 7. This brings us to another question here. 
that would arise out of this, that um, if God is all powerful, then why doesn't he just get rid of all the evil right now that's in the world and be done with it? I mean, with all this COVID-19 stuff, if God is all powerful and yes, he's seen that we've sinned and brought evil, why doesn't he just get rid of it all right now? I mean, why doesn't he just get rid of all the evil? Okay, it's already been done, you know, he's already had so many people love him now and, and choose to, you know, receive him as their savior and everything. Why doesn't he just get rid of all the evil right now if he's all powerful? Why does he allow it to keep happening? Look at Romans chapter seven. And, uh, I'm going to quote Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's your and my heart. Now, along those lines, look at Romans chapter 7. One of the greatest Christians, if not the greatest Christians that ever lived. In Romans chapter 7, look at verse 18. For I know that in me, this is Paul talking, that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. Look at verse 19. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. And he's talking about, you keep, keep going on there, he's talking about his flesh. And his flesh contains that evil. Even though he's saved, even though he's on his way to heaven, even though he's got the word of God, even though he's got the Holy Spirit indwelling him and uh, giving him all power to, you know, if he uh, uh, allows the Holy Spirit to work in him, he has the ability to be able to get rid or not sin. But he says right there that there is evil that dwells within his flesh. So, again, the question is, if God is truly all powerful then why doesn't he just get rid of the evil that now is in the world? Why does he just get rid of it once and for all? Well, the answer is found right in Philippians chapter 3. So look at Philippians chapter 3. What we saw from those two verses from Jeremiah 17:9 and Romans chapter 7 is that evil stems from our flesh and from our wicked hearts. And uh, Philippians chapter 3 In Philippians chapter 3, look at verse 20. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. For our, this is, now these are, of course, saved Christians, okay? Uh, look at uh, Philippians 3, 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord, all these kinds of things. So he's talking to saved Christians. Now, verse 20, Philippians 3, 20. For our conversation is in heaven, for whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body. Again, this body contains uh, that evil that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. Of course, Christ rose from the dead, had a glorious body with no you know, sin, evil, anything in it, according to the working whereby he is able to even to subdue all things unto himself. So the question comes about is, why doesn't God just take away all the evil right now and get rid of it all? Well, if he did that, he'd have to get rid of our flesh. And to get rid of our flesh, he would have to come back right now at the rapture take us home, those that are saved, give us a brand new glorified body, and then the tribulation would have to take place because he's got it all set down what's going to happen. So he can't get rid of all the evil right away, but to get it started, to get going, he would have to right now, like say, Lord, just take away all the evil. If you were going to pray this right now, you would say, Lord, take away all the evil in this world. The first thing that would have to happen is he would come down in the rapture. He would take up all the saints that are saved 
and he would change their vile body into a body like his glorious body, okay, without sin or, or, or evil or anything like that. And then there would be seven years of tribulation down here. And then, of course, there'd be that thousand-year reign. And then, then he would create everything all new after he destroys all the enemies that come against him. So you say, well, why doesn't God just take care of all of these kinds of things and just get rid of all the evil? Look at Revelation chapter 9. You say, shouldn't we just be praying for that, that the Lord just uh, takes away all the evil right now? Well, that's true. I mean, I, I pray for the Lord to come back. I don't know about you, but <clears throat> boy, I'd love the Lord to come back right now. <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't be heartbroken if he came back right now in the middle of this uh, study right now. But there's also kind of a caveat that comes with that. Look at Revelation chapter 9. Now, when that tribulation takes place, say say he takes us out of here, gets rid of the evil in our flesh, and—, and uh, and does all that and at the rapture, there's going to be some terrible things that happen down here on the earth to those of our friends, loved ones that haven't gotten saved yet, our neighbors, our coworkers. Look at Revelation chapter 9. This is one of the things that's going to happen in the seven years of tribulation with the Antichrist and all that. Revelation chapter 9, verse 15. And the four angels were loose, which were present for an hour and a day and a month and a year for to slay the third part of men. And the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000,000, and I heard the number of them. So he goes down here, look at verse 18. By these three was the third part of men killed. That means that when the tribulation starts, shortly after we get raptured out of here, uh, that means that almost immediately a third of the world is going to die. So that would be, what, we got about 8 billion people in the world today. You look at that, that would be about, what, 3 million close to, or I mean, 3 billion close to around there. I mean, and then more and more keep dying. And uh, you say, why doesn't God just take away all the evil in this world? Well, if he, if he started that and tried to do that, that would mean that a lot of your friends that aren't saved, a lot of your coworkers, a lot of your family members that aren't saved would be killed, destroyed in the tribulation. And uh, look at Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. And Second Thessalonians chapter 2, of course, is talking about the Antichrist, the son of perdition. And Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10, And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness and them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. So that's you witnessing to your friends and family, your neighbors, co-workers, while, you know, before the rapture takes place. Then look at verse 11. They didn't listen to it. Now, verse 11, and for this cause, they're going through the tribulation in this here right now. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. And they all, I'm sorry, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in righteousness. So the reason why I believe that God does not take away all the evil in the world right now is because if he did, we'd be raptured out of here. And praise the Lord for that. Those that are saved and get rid of our vile, wicked evil body in our flesh that we sin, but then the seven years of tribulation would take place, and then almost every single person that we know that hasn't received Christ their Savior yet will be damned for eternity in hell. Now, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, but is long-suffering to us word. Long-suffering, that means that he's not, you know, if it was you and I, we'd just say, well, let's get rid of this stuff right now, let's get it over with. But God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come the repentance. 
So God wants every single person to be saved. He wants to give them as many opportunities as possible to be able to get saved from their sin and be able to go to heaven and not to hell. And so it looks like, I believe, the reason why God does not get rid of the evil right away is because he's trying to give more and more people time and opportunity to get saved. Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found, call ye upon him while he is near. There is a limited time. If you're listening to this right now and you have never received Christ as your Savior, there is a limited time until he comes back and then the opportunity is gone. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, he says, For he saith, I have heard thee, and a time accepted, and a day of salvation have I secured thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Today is the day. Now, we're going to go to two more places, and we're done. Look at Isaiah chapter 45. This is going to be uh, one of those verses that somebody might try and ask you, or you might have read it in your Bible and wonder what that means. Isaiah chapter 45. And look at verse 7. Isaiah 45, verse 7. Uh, let's look at verse 5. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 5. I am the Lord, and there is none else. Okay, there is no God beside me. I girded thee, uh, though thou hast not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Now, somebody might say, well, wait a minute. God creates evil? Well, think about this for a second. Um, who created hell? It was God. Jesus Christ created hell. Why did he create hell? Look at Matthew chapter 25. So hell is evil, of course. I mean, you can't say that hell is not evil. Look at Matthew chapter 25. Again, this, this all comes back to the fact of the devil messed up, we messed up. And so there's consequences for that sin. And the consequences of that is death, pain, sin, evil. Look at Matthew chapter 25. Look at verse 41. Matthew chapter 25. Look at verse 41. Then shall he, God, say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So again, hell was created for the devil and his angels because he was the first one to... Uh, of course, go against God and by the multitude of his iniquities, you defile the sanctuaries and all that kind of stuff. And then mankind sinned. And anybody that doesn't receive him as their savior are cast in the lake of fire, which God created. God created that evil because of their sin. So yes, God does create evil, but it's all because of our sin, our wickedness. God sends lying spirits and, and evil spirits to those that uh, don't want to listen to the word of God. Why does he send those evil spirits? Because of our sin and our wickedness, our hardness of our hearts. So the main question is, why does God allow evil to exist in the world? Number one, God did not create evil in the world. He, he, he In the very beginning, he created everything perfect the devil included. Secondly, why did he create us with the option or ability to be able to sin? Well, he created us with a free will so that we would have a opportunity to either love God or disobey God. And of course, all of us have sinned, disobeyed God, but we have the op opportunity to be able to love him, receive him as our savior and serve him. And the last question was, why doesn't God just take away all the evil right now in this world? Well, it's because he's long suffering. He, he doesn't want to just destroy everybody right now because all that evil is contained in our flesh and causing evil in this world. 
He wants to get, he's long suffering. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So we need to get busy. We need to get busy and telling other people about the Lord Jesus Christ, that they need to get saved. And, uh, and we need to be praying also for our loved ones. And again, we need to have an answer for every man that asks you to your reason to hope this in you with meekness and fear. All right. Thanks guys. Amen. Thank you, Matt. Amen. You know, when I first introduced you there, I said, Matt's going to answer definitively out of the Bible. And, and you did. You went through a number of verses that were very helpful and that people can look up. And I, obviously that's why the show's called That's in the Bible. It's not that's Amen. in my opinion. It's not that's what I think, which there's plenty of shows like that. But this one, we try to look at everything based from what does the Bible say. And sometimes the Bible says things that you know, are sometimes tough. They they don't always put man in a in a very good light. Uh, very often, man, man is not put yeah. in, in a very good light. And I think if the Bible was written by men, that probably would be a little different. Men would men would have a more preeminent preeminent space and spot, and and so good stuff. And uh, that's a good thing to keep. And I, when you say that this is something you should have down, you you would put that in the back of your Bible. You would write that down. Yeah, I've got. Um... Um, of course you, I'll tell everybody, my dad got me, uh, the iPad pro, but you can get any kind of a thing also. Uh, maybe you don't like electronics. That's fine. Yeah. You can put it in the back of your Bible, but this has been a blessing for me. I got, um, what is it called? Note, uh, good notes, good notes. Mm-hmm. Good notes. And, uh, so I, I'm able to write this down. I wrote this down into my iPad and, and the neat thing is, if you've got like an iPhone, you can have it right on your phone, uh, Good Notes as well. And so you could just look it right up. And I put it underneath a folder uh, in Good Notes. And, you know, it would be under a W for why does God allow evil to exist in the world? And then under E as well. And so if somebody asked me, well, why does God allow evil to exist in the world? I could just look it right up. Um, or, you know, however you want to do it, you could, like I said, you could have your Bible and that's, that's the best way to do it is have it written in your Bible and things like that. Um, but yeah, just have the, the verses, uh, prepared. I think that's, uh, important. I think it was a good point too, that you, uh, you brought out that God didn't create evil. You know, he didn't create the world with evil in it to begin with. Amen. I think that's. Sometimes the way that question and phrase is usually couched is usually, well, why did God make everything evil and put evil there? And, you know, so I think that, right. was, a, that was a good point. Pastor Strobel, Pastor Steve, what do you guys have to say? Brother Steve, you can go ahead. <laughs> I'm, I'm... Okay. Um, you know, I, there's sometimes uh, different people take different approaches to that. And it certainly, I think, the approach that I would take is is maybe a little bit different in how Matt, but I end up at the same place. So um, when you use that verse about uh, God creating evil, I believe that he created evil in that he had it there in the garden when he created the, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But when God created that, he created man with the innocence or the fact that they, they didn't know what that evil was. And then when Adam sinned, then he brought that evil to bear, and they had to bear the consequences of, of disobeying God. And so that evil that had been, um, to them, an ignorance, now is present with them. And so uh, because of that sin, 
there's a consequence to that sin. Uh, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Obviously, it goes into the good context. You can do good and reap the good of that. But that evil part is something that we have to, to bear the brunt of. And as uh, we read in Romans chapter 5, because of Adam's sin, it passed on to all of us because all of sin. So that propensity or that potential for sin and evil is now passed upon all of us. And consequently, that, that uh, reaping of that is there. You know, it, it doesn't take too long after you get in from, from Adam and you go up to Genesis chapter, uh, chapter 6, and uh, God's talking about, you know, all the wickedness and all the sin that's going on. In verse 5, it says, And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the, uh, of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. Once sin is, if you might say, let out of the bottle, uh, it just gets worse and worse and worse to the point that we're seeing things today. And unfortunately, when men ask that question that, that you've posed, why, you know, why does God let evil into the world, um, they're looking at it from a human standpoint, and they're not really looking at it from God's standpoint. When man chose to do the evil that he did and disobeyed God, then he, now he has to reap the consequences of that evil. And so, uh, you know, that evil is there and it's going to be there. Uh, it's going to be there until, like Matt says, when God uh, uh, determines where a man is going to go. And obviously we have the opportunity to receive Christ now. The thing that I think is interesting is that even though God allowed that to take place in the world and the consequences of that sin to take place, he did something to remedy it. He sent his son, which obviously is what, what Matt is talking about. And, and again, when I said those things about the consequences of that sin, is that points to Matt's second point in that God gave us a choice. And he gave Adam a choice, and now he gives us a choice. I mean, we can go deeper into that sin and into that wickedness that this world is seeing, or we could pull back from it and believe God and, and follow the Word of God and minimize it as much as we can in the flesh that we're living in. So it's still a choice. Some men choose to... to uh, exacerbate that evil and, and go further and deeper into it. And some people pull away from it and try to minimize it as much as they can. But again, it's due to that free choice. So God could take away that evil if he wanted to, but he's allowing men to reap the consequences of that sin. And so I'm glad that uh, I took the remedy. And uh, even though I still... Uh, struggle and uh, have sin in my life. I don't want to sin. I want to please God. And uh, I try to minimize it as much as I can. And uh, I would urge anyone that's listened to this podcast that they might take advantage of the remedy that God has, God has provided for us in receiving Jesus Christ as our Savior. And then ultimately, 
getting rid of it altogether uh, when the rapture takes place and uh, the Lord takes us out of here and we have the sinless body just like Jesus Christ's body. So Amen. maybe a little bit different approach, but still ending up in, in the same way. Amen. Amen. It's a, a good treatment of a difficult subject, uh, Brother Matt, and good points by Brother Steve. You know, there is a method to what people perceive as God's madness. In regard to the subject at hand of an omnipotent God allowing evil in the world, and why would he do this, and why didn't he prevent it, and why doesn't he stop it? In addition to all those things, I want to add that, uh, first of all, God knows what's going on, and he knows what he's doing. And, and he knew it before he did it, and, and he allowed it. Romans 8, 28, it's revealed in Romans 8, 28, New Testament, but the truth is pervasive, um, you know, from time immemorial, if you will. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Whoever, whatever God created, everything works together for good for them. And, and God's whole creation, it works together for God for good as well. Mm-hmm. Proverbs 16, 4, the Lord hath made all things for himself. Yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. Notice the all things. And we know that all things work together for good. So the Lord made all things for himself. He even made the wicked for the day of evil. That's going to even work together for God's good, for his glory. Revelation 4.11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor, for thou hast created all things. And for thy pleasure they are and were created. He made all things. He, He doesn't shy away from it. Sometimes what we shy away from um, as far as people accusing God of or, or giving God credit for, sometimes in the Bible I could get reading through Isaiah. You were there in Isaiah 45, and that's an excellent uh, verse. And and through 40, through about 49, the Lord just, man, he takes credit for a lot of stuff there and, and just puts it out. But, but uh, this stuff working together for good, Psalm 76, verse 10, he says, Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee. The remainder of wrath shalt thou restrain. And in in God allowing evil to get into this universe, first through Satan, Lucifer, and then through mankind, and we see it blown up to where it is right now and running rampant, yet knowing the end of the story that God's going to subdue it all, when this is all said and done, and when the judgment is over, and sin and the devil have been exposed before all creation— And when man's experiment with sin is over, there's going to be nobody left anymore who thinks that the way of sin is better than the way of righteousness. Before it was all revealed, I mean, there was Lucifer. He had that thought, hey, what about this? And and he wanted to be the uh, big wig, and, and he wanted to be like God, and, and he wanted to have all the all that with sin, and he did. And then that, again, man ultimately got into that as well. But when it's finished, nobody's going to question God's wisdom anymore. Um, it'll be done. Mm-hmm. And again, when, when man's whole experiment with sin is ultimately subdued by God, there's not going to be a living being in, in all of the universe that will ever again make the mistake of thinking that wickedness is a better way of life than holiness or that someone else ought to be running things rather than God. Mm-hmm. In the end, they're, they're going to all agree he had done all things well. And the Bible tells us every knee is going to bow, every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. So Lord, Lord got a lot of this going on for a reason. A couple more things real quick. 1 Corinthians eleven nineteen, where we live today, even in the church, he says, or in Christianity and in, in religion, religious circles. 1 Corinthians eleven nineteen, Paul says, For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be manifest among you. 
So God used that false uh, truth, which which is an oxymoron, I understand, but the false doctrine, be the better way to say it, he used that false doctrine to expose heretics for what they are and to shine a light on those that are, are right and have the truth. Mm-hmm. And you take that and apply it to just the Lord allowing sin into the world and everything, and in the end, God's glory will shine brighter upon the background of defeated evil, mm-hmm. and God will defeat it. We, we, we can see that at the end of the book. <laughs> And, and and it's it's even like when light glistens against a background of darkness and it just it just magnifies it, it sparkles. And Ecclesiastes two thirteen says, Then I saw that wisdom excelleth folly as far as light excelleth darkness. And and again, God God's glory will just redound even more and more against that background of defeated evil. And he's gonna come out the victor. Amen. Glory to God. Glory to him. Amen. Amen. And doesn't, uh, you know, the evil that's in the world that we can see, um, the, the evidence of the evil, it, it just highlights the contrast for me, the difference Amen. between holiness and evil. You know, the, the passage there in John says, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. You can see people drawn to the darkness, you know, drawn to the evil um, versus, versus light, versus God. Amen. <clears throat> Matt, thanks for the study. Amen. Much much appreciated. Praise the Lord. Good job. Thank you. All right. Well, we're glad you folks could join us, and uh, we hope to have another episode again soon. Um, We'll talk uh, as soon as we get done here today, and we'll see if we can schedule another episode right away so that we can bring you some more, especially while you're shut in. Maybe you uh, are tuning in to some broadcasts whether it's your church services and you're looking for some other things along during the week, we hope that you'll join us here at that's in the Bible.com. And uh, next episode will be episode 91 as we close in on unbelievably so 100. Um, but we'd like to thank you for joining. And if you have any questions, comments, you could be sure to send those to that's in the Bible at gmail.com. All one word. That's in the Bible at gmail.com. All right, guys, anything else? I was going to say, too, if anybody has any studies that they would like us to cover, they should let us know also. Amen. Amen. Any questions? Um, I know we were talking as the, well, before the podcast began, Steve had some ideas on some hobbies and things that he's been doing around the house. (laughs) (laughs) All Uh, for private consumption. (laughs) Well, we Steve's an animal lover, and he's been uh, he's been relocating animals from his backyard to other locations. Maybe we can go into that a little bit, <laughs> or not, or not, or not. Yes, thank you, brother. Thank you. <laughs> All right, guys. Lord willing, we'll see you again soon. And thanks again for joining us.
This has been a production of the That's in the Bible podcast. To leave a comment or to ask a question, visit our website at thatsinthebible.com or email us at thatsinthebible at gmail.com or call our listener feedback voicemail at 716-584-1611. Again, that's 716-584-1611. As always, thanks for listening and press on.